Hello, I'm Katie Perrier. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Wasting no time, first up, we speak to Bill Grimsey, who's put together this COVID special supplement to his Grimsey review, work that normally takes three months in just a matter of three weeks. So Bill, what made you get a whole team of people together to write a report that normally takes three to six months to turn something around in a matter of weeks? Well, I think the COVID situation has woken everybody up in the country and it woke me up too. And I was on Twitter and somebody said, are you going to do a supplement to the Grimsey reviews of 2013 and 2018 about the impact of COVID? And I thought, well, why not? So rang round some of the old team, got some new people in. I have to say they've done a fantastic job in bringing together a review, as you rightly said, which normally takes three to six months in about six weeks. And I'm extremely grateful to them. What in particular is different about this supplement, this kind of update that wasn't in the original reports that you've done previously? Well, the most stark change is society and the environment brought about by COVID. We have all experienced a different way of life. The air's been calmer, there's been no aeroplanes in the sky, we've had to stay in lockdown and we've had to live in a different way. And I think we've seen a different side to nature and we've perhaps glimpsed something that might need to happen in this century anyway because climate change hasn't gone away. So it seems to me that we should capture that moment. The most important thing to do is to not let this opportunity pass without stopping, pausing and saying, hey, how should we reinvent these places to take account of what we've learned from this terrifying experience? So, Bill, this is a weighty report. If you had a call upon government, there are lots of recommendations in this. What's the top three things you would push for? What's your big ask? Well, my big ask of the government and society at large is to wake up and do something. And then the three big things that need to happen, and the first one is very, very important. We need to go to a new kind of localism and central government needs to provide a an opportunity and create conditions for local people and local communities to take responsibility for their place and reinvent it for them and to compete as a town with other towns to attract people to live, work, play and visit with their uniqueness involved in it. We've all got wonderful heritage. So it's about localism, empower people to make the changes. The second thing that needs to happen is we need local people, local leaders to take charge of this and to have vision and courage and uh, inspire people to think differently about our places and to take control of the situation. And I'm speaking generally about local authorities as well. And we need a new breed of chief executive. We've been very fortunate to get Neil Schneider, the ex-chief executive of Stocks and Antilles, to join the team. And he has oodles of experience and he has done remarkable things in a town in a most economically deprived part of the, the UK. And if he can do it, other people can do it. So we need great leaders to step up to the plate and do it. And then the third thing is to recognise that we're moving away from the last century and the carborn culture that replaced everything in the second half of the century. We've got cars littered everywhere and that's going to disappear. 
And that carbon culture has to be replaced by a mobile technology culture. And technology is going to provide experiences for us. And we need places to do that. And what better than our town centres, not based on shops, but based on a community hub, health, education, entertainment, leisure, arts, crafts, the whole bit and some shops. But with green spaces, a great place to be, lots of events. And guess what? Our towns with our heritage will be the best in the world after that. You talk at several points in this report about local leaders and the importance of local leadership in empowering people politically closer to the residents they serve. And this is different from the governments of past and it requires a real change. Often local leaders are seen as second rate, bit naff, wannabe politicians. But really, we need to do something different on a local leadership level to value those people, showcase that it is a really important job, and potentially in the future can have more powers. Can you expand a bit on that? Yeah, what we need is a new kind of capitalism. It's called a social capitalism. We're a capitalist society, and I support that 100%. But it needs to be based on the local community and the local society. And that needs to be looked at as a business as a town, as a place which is competing for businesses to invest, for manufacturing to take place, for people to live, work, play and entertain themselves and for people to visit because of heritage. So treat it like a business and get these local authorities having chief executives in them with that commercial acumen and that leadership and that vision. And let's put in place measures where we measure their performance or the local people can measure their performance and reward them accordingly. And you'll attract great people to make those changes. It's not about PLCs anymore. It's about town PLCs. Let's have those towns turn themselves into fantastic businesses, working for the community and creating an economic dynamo that collectively will lift the UK out of the current mire it's in. And don't forget, we are entering a dark period economically and there's going to be a lot of people unemployed out there and we need to kickstart it. What better way to do it than with through localism and our towns? So if you're looking to the future, implementing some of the recommendations from this report, if you look at the future of retail and its impact on the town centre, what is the future of both? And as a result, what will our new high streets and town centres look like if some of these recommendations are implemented? Well, the retail environment has been changing since the turn of uh, the century and it's been driven by technology and we all know what's happening with online shopping and that's been accelerated by COVID. We've all started to shop more online and a lot of that's going to stick. So bricks and mortar retailing has to change dramatically. I don't think that you'll see big chains and big brands by the mid part of this century. I think it will be local and I think that there will be less shops but they'll be more interesting and more fun and they'll have more technology in them. I think the mass consumerism that has driven chains that we we all know out there and I'm going to mention some, I'm going to mention Primark because I watched Greed last night for the first time and it's shocking, absolutely shocking what fast fashion is doing to the world in terms of CO2 emissions and exploitation of labour. We've got a real issue with 
the slave issues of the last three centuries. Slavery is going on today and it is contributing to the demise of the planet. So let's use this opportunity to get rid of that kind of stuff. It breaks my heart when I see queues getting into Primark for cheap T-shirts that are going to get worn a few times and burned. And these people that are producing it are living on four pounds a day. It's just got to stop. And I think that's a big global issue that when you take it down to a local issue, will allow for manufacturing, will allow for technology to help, 3D printing. There's all sorts of things that are going to really change. And there's some great young entrepreneurs waking up this morning in their beds, 22 years of age, that are going to make it happen. And I just want our local leaders to facilitate that and give them the opportunities to succeed. I find the future of high streets a fascinating issue, a subject close to our hearts and many of our communities. Let's hear from some of the contributors to the report. Hello, I'm Neil Schneider and have contributed to the Grimsey 3 review. In particular, I've covered the issue of local leadership. Why? Because it's absolutely critical that if we're going to transform our high streets, it needs to be driven locally by passionate people who really care about the places they live and the role that the high street can play in and for local communities. Lots of challenges, lots of hurdles, and a lot of things that on the face of it might present as really hard to do. That's why we need local leadership who can see and have a vision that's shared locally. Collaborative leaders who can bring people together, understand and see the difficulties, work through new, imaginative, creative solutions, accept that not everybody's going to sometimes see this as a win. Compromise will be made, but actually to drive on the ground change at a local place. Having been so fortunate to work at Stockton Teesborough Council, where the elected members there mandated us to make those changes, it was heartening. We were empowered to intervene, to make change, to communicate clearly, consistently with all the stakeholders, to bring a diverse group of people together, to create a new type of town centre and High Street, where we acknowledged and respected that retail could only just play a part, but where we could create something so special, like a huge outdoor community centre, where other activities, other roles, events and community facilities became the hub of the local community. The real issue, though, of course, is about leadership. It needs to be unleashed. It needs to be let off some of the traditional constraints of speed of decision-making, of empowerment of decision-making, if that's to happen at the pace that's going to be required. My name is Kim Cassidy. I'm Professor of Services Retail Marketing at Edge Hill University. My role in the team really was to gather and evaluate the evidence which was used to generate some of the recommendations. So I looked at what was out there going on in towns, basically to ensure that the recommendations build on the progress that towns have been making up and down the country prior to COVID. So that was my section. In terms of what I think the key messages for me about progress were in a couple of areas. First of all, about how forward-thinking councils have been thinking about reconfiguring towns as community hubs. 
because that was a main thrust in the recommendations from Grimsey 1 and 2, where although retail, particularly independent retail, still plays a key role in the hub, other services and facilities are being developed to drive the footfall into towns. So particularly how they're using green space, arts and leisure, health and housing to create a space based on social and community interaction. So a good example, there's quite a few in the piece, but a good example is Stockton Council, who in 2019, they acquired two shop, big shopping centres that were 450,000 square foot of floor space and high vacancy rates. But they've actually plans to transform that into a sort of civic hub with a high quality urban park in the middle and direct link to the River Tees. So essentially, it's about using space, green space. And there's a couple of other examples about arts and leisure, things that are being done where the arts and leisure facility is attracting footfall and the retail is sort of developing around that. So that was one of the key areas. The other area that came out from the research was about how businesses and towns are engaging communities in their plans for regeneration. There are a couple of government funds, the High Streets Fund and the Towns Fund, which stipulate that if you apply for any funding for that, you have to have a strong programme of community engagement. And so that's helped. But a number of the, for example, thinking about how we can bring people in and use their skills and expertise of members of the actual community to develop plans. For retailers, I think what we've seen is a move from product-based offers such as clothing retailers just selling clothing, to clothing retailers offering dressmaking services and opportunities for people to learn about clothes. Butchery is a good example in Southall, which is featured where they basically offer master butchery classes as well as product. So it's this move from product to service models, which essentially bring people in to do things and to use their skills and expertise, which actually have been greatly enhanced, I think, a lot of the time during the lockdown because people have spent a lot of time learning new skills. So that's the second thing is about community involvement. And the third thing, I think, was about leadership and planning. I think, again, a lot of the councils have really started to develop place plans that are sort of coherent and highlight the sort of USP of a place, unique selling proposition of a place, which might build on the heritage of the place or whatever. But bringing things together with a clear sort of plan with objectives and goals. And the final thing about leadership and planning, I think, was about collaboration. There seems to be a lot more collaboration going on between councils and other interested parties in working towards a sort of high streets of town centre solution. So that was the other thing that I've noticed from the evidence. So an example is this something called the Urban Mobility Partnership, which was featured in the report. And you've got companies, private companies, Enterprise, Bosch, working with Stagecoach, Brompton Bank. They're all interested in finding solutions to urban mobility. They realise they've got to connect and use the resources of different groups rather than work as isolated groups around the solution. So for me, those were the, some of the key messages that came out of the evidence. My name is Matt Baker. I am a consultant and I have worked on all three Grimsey reviews of the high streets. I do a lot of work around high streets and I led the um, local government association's first leadership program on high streets early this year. I would contend that high streets are facing the, the biggest challenge in many generations. 
The British Retail Consortium said last year was retail's worst year on record, and this year is certainly not going to get any better. We're seeing high streets facing enormous challenges. Shops are closing, jobs are being lost, and the landscape is going to be changed forever. This means that we have to look at doing something differently. High streets of the future are going to have a lot less retail. KPMG has already anticipated that by 2023, we should have 25% fewer shops. We envisage it could be a lot worse than that. So what will the high streets of the future look like? Well, that change has been barreling towards us for some time, and much of it is being driven by the attitudes of Gen Zs and Millennials. We know that Gen Zs and Millennials have a different relationship to, I suppose, the peak consumerism of, of the 20th century. Uh, many believe we're, we're starting to reach a period of post-stuff. Research has shown that 72% of Millennials would rather spend their money on an experience than a material good. We're seeing this being driven by social media as well. So it's becoming more common to, for people to kind of post their experiences on Instagram rather than purchases. What we're seeing in terms of the values of Gen Zs and Millennials is more of an affinity with, I guess, what you'd call stakeholder capitalism. That's a kind of a model where businesses look out for communities, they look out for their workers, and they look out for the environment, much more so than the old 20th century model of shareholder capitalism, which is exclusively driven by you know, the need to protect and maximise gains for shareholders, often at the detriment of local communities. Where high streets have come unstuck is often by what we might call the unacceptable face of capitalism, and that is private equity owners saddling chains with far too much debt and forcing them to expand too fast. So we need high streets, which is less about fancy financial engineering and more about responsible, sustainable business. Social responsibility is really now starting to embed itself across the whole economy, and the high street cannot be immune from this. We're seeing enormous social change sweeping across society in so many ways, from Black Lives Matter to Fridays for the Future. So the Fridays for the Future generation, led by Greta Thunberg, wants to see businesses driving positive change, more linked to that kind of stakeholder capitalism movement, which looks after communities, looks after the environment, looks after the workers. And we need to move away, I guess, from a model which just really reflects the needs of distant shareholders. Ironically, this is a generation that many high streets have been trying to design out for decades now, you know, with councils trying to exclude young people with curfews, anti-chow mosquito alarms and hoodie bans. And high streets of the future are going to have to be much more inclusive in terms of embracing that younger generation because in many ways it's their values that are driving change. You know, we've already spoken about the experience economy which is only going to get bigger. So there's now a huge opportunity. We're looking at a sort of post-retail landscape. You know, we have an opportunity to build back better, not save the status quo. And how will that look like? What's build back better about? Well, it's making, you know, towns and cities more walkable, cycle-friendly, more green spaces. You know, the Prime Minister recently talked about the need for more interventionist policies to tackle obesity. And high streets must be a front line for public health. We asked in 2013 if there were too many shops, and there are too many shops. We're going to see a big shrinkage in retail space, and bricks and mortar retail is going to be in retreat for some years to come, particularly as we, we move online. But we're now asking, are there too many streets? You know, what we're seeing in America is roads being demapped, turned into green spaces and parks. And, you know, I think we will see more of that here as our streets and um, town centres are opened up to become much more community friendly. You know, we've seen in places like Rosalieri in Belgium where they're turning car parks en masse into big green spaces so the communities are sitting there eating finger food and having a great time. And you're seeing areas being opened up much more to communities 
And I think this reflects a need to start to design towns and cities away from the car because they've been designed completely and exclusively around the car for too long now. And that's just resulted in communities effectively being warehoused, sent off to you know business parks and shopping centres. And if you can create richer communities where people can walk, can spend time together, you know, build up that dwell time, get healthier in the process, then that, that can only be a good thing. My name's Jackie Sadek. I'm um, always billed as the property and regeneration expert on the Grimsey Review Panel. I worked on the first review in 2013 and then again in 2019 and was thrilled when Bill got the band back together again to do this COVID supplement. The big elephant in the room, I guess, and I've been around high street regeneration for nearly 30 years now, having been in all sorts of regeneration projects, this has always been key to my work. The elephant in the room from the get-go, really, has always been the retail property industry. Really difficult to reform and reinvent your high street if you've got 200 landowners, say, and you don't know who half of them are, and some of them are domiciled on the Cayman Islands. It's always been really, really fraught. And one of the reasons that places like Covent Garden or Marylebone High Street work so well is because they're curated by one landlord and there's only one landlord involved. Where you've got 200 different property owners, it gets quite abstruse and quite difficult. And for decades, really, we've been looking for a radical price correction in the property market. Inflated and unrealistic rents have been preventing the high street from reinventing itself for years. And it's been long overdue for reform. And of course, the pandemic has accelerated the need to look at the very abstruse leaseholds that we've got in the property market. We've got very arcane and archaic measures like quarter days. People only pay their rent every quarter on a quarter day. I mean, it's almost medieval. Upward only rent reviews, complicated zoning whereby you pay more rent for the front part of the shop. And it all needs a radical overhaul. Now, it's not happened hitherto because there's been too many vested interests involved, but the chips are down now and we do need some radical reform. So I really welcome this huge impetus from Bill Grimsey and the team towards different sorts of land ownership and property ownership in the retail sector, particularly community ownership, which I think could be key. We are really, really focusing on a high street that is predicated on community uses interchange social and educational health uses rather than merely retail and, and I believe that the property industry has got a big role and has to now step up and show itself willing to reform itself alongside the retail industry. Why is the high street or our town centres, why are these places so important to us? Well they're important because they are the living embodiment of whether our local economy is going to survive or fail. And people are very, very sentimental and emotional about their town centres. And what's been happening during the COVID crisis is that we have seen people using local much, much more. And we would like to further encourage that. And we'd like the property industry to join with us and the Grimsey team in further encouraging that use of local facilities. I'm Nick Hood. I'm a business risk analyst at Opus Restructuring. No UK business sectors could possibly have foreseen the commercial catastrophe of the COVID-19 pandemic, nor indeed anticipated the extraordinary speed with which it uh, struck. One minute business was functioning, the next whole swathes of the economy were shut down by the government. But sadly, it's difficult to imagine any other industries which came into the crisis less well prepared 
and with more fundamental challenges than retail and hospitality, those absolute stalwarts of town centres and high streets up and down the country. What we did was to look at the last published accounts through the company watch analysis system of every retail business and every pub and restaurant business in the UK. And if you look at retail first, it accounts for 5% of GDP, it employs 2.9 million workers, but 47% of retailers, we found, were at significant risk of failure. That's almost 42,000 retail companies. 18% of them have negative balance sheets with combined shortfall of £2.2 billion. And there have been 107 major failures since the start of 2018, affecting 126,000 jobs and 5,700 shops. And when you look at the average financial health rating of retail businesses across the whole economy, it should be around 50. In retail, it's only 36 out of 100. If you turn then to pubs and restaurants, again, it's 5% of GDP. It employs more workers, 3.2 million people, but 59%, well over half of all pub and club operators, are at significant risk of failure, 29,000 companies in all. 27% of them, 13,200 companies, have negative balance sheets, combined shortfall here of £2 billion. And the average financial health rating, instead of being around 50 out of 100, was only 28, which is an extraordinarily low figure and the worst figure across the economy as a whole. And what you need to remember is that these figures look at the latest published accounts of these companies. And because of the historic nature, they won't even have picked up the poor trading during a very subdued 2019 festive season. So we see a terrible picture of sectors not in any state to withstand any sort of shock, never mind one as bad as COVID-19. It's far too early to have any coherent view of the medium and the long-term effect of the pandemic on these businesses. We know the short-term impact. Revenue has collapsed in hospitality. It's disappeared altogether. We know business rates are suspended and the workforce is being paid by the government. But we know that there have been loans uh, taken up by these companies. We don't know whether they'll be able to repay them. Nor can we know what consumer sentiment or spending will be as we all emerge blinking from lockdown into whatever passes for the new normal. But there are already some dire predictions about what will happen in these two sectors. KPMG are saying that they had originally expected a quarter of all retail space to be gone by 2025. They now think this will be 2022. The restaurant guide Hardens has reported that only a third of restaurant operators expect to reopen their whole portfolios after lockdown. And it reported predictions that no more than 70% of hospitality sites will go back into operation, which means that 30% of pubs and restaurants will never reopen. So at this very early stage, the only certainty is uncertainty and that many of the pieces in the existing jigsaw of our high streets and our town centres will be missing. Shops, pubs, restaurants. However dramatic the impact, and however draconian the financial fallout, nevertheless this will create a unique opportunity to recreate these places in a modern and exciting way, built for the future and not for the time that has passed.
My name is Rebecca Trevallion. I'm one of the co-founders of a social enterprise called Library of Things. Basically, Library of Things helps people save money and reduce waste by affordably renting out useful items like drills and sound systems and sewing machines and strimmers from community hubs in high street spaces. So my personal mission has always been like, how do you make a high street feel like home and neighbours feel like friends? And from my experience over the years working in different community hubs around London and working with Library of Things is that it's the access to these shared spaces, whether they're a kind of a library with kind of cafe space and event space or whether they are an urban farm that have volunteer and apprenticeship opportunities or a kind of parent-led childcare service. They have this power to bring people together who, who aren't necessarily from the same background and to create spaces to connect beyond just your demographic or your interest group. And it can be super powerful and, and goes right to the heart of some of the challenges we're facing, like one in five people describing themselves as sometimes or, or often lonely. Something which we can only imagine has become more acute in the COVID-19 crisis. And so my piece in the Grimsey COVID-19 supplement is all about creating this community model and the biggest barrier to that happening. And I personally believe from experience that the biggest barrier to, to this explosion of community driven services and spaces is the state of the property market, is the lack of access to affordable, long-term secure property and buildings and land for community driven services and, and spaces to happen. In my piece, I, I talk about the way that, for example, traditional rent setting on high streets among landlords has created a marketplace that is not accessible to these these different types of community services. Because basically what happens is that landlords assess what is the, the most able to pay, what kind of shop or service is the highest bidder for a space, whether that's a kind of high-end coffee shop or pizza place or a retail chain and then makes the assumption that therefore all properties similar to, to that property will be set at the same rent. And that just isn't viable if you are a, a repair shop or a, a maker space or a community powered zero waste market or something of, of that kind. And so there's this tension between this rent expectation among landlords and between the ability to pay of this mix of different models that we could see on our high streets and in, and in many places we do. There's also an issue of a kind of a disconnection between landlords and the communities. So nearly half of all our properties on high streets are actually owned by overseas investors, investment funds, commercial property investors. And that can create a dynamic where the kind of there's not an understanding of the local community and what might benefit that community. There's complete disconnect. Often these properties are owned by offshore registered companies and it's very difficult to trace the ultimate owner because of this kind of layer of offshore registration. And, and, and so it can be very difficult for communities to, to find out who owns these properties, to be able to talk to them in the first place and say, hey, I can run a, an affordable yoga studio or I can run a community bakery or a arts centre within these 
boarded up shops. And so that that connection can't happen because these landlords are, are distant and removed. They're also, of course, motivated pretty much entirely by the profit margin because they don't have that personal connection to the community. And so there is no incentive to rent out affordably or rent out locally to, to those people nearby who might be able to create really useful and important services and outcomes for that neighbourhood. So at the heart of what I propose in my piece is a huge move, a shift towards community ownership of these properties. So if these properties are in the hands of local trusts or community benefit organisations that are already embedded within these neighbourhoods, then we see, with, in the case with the big local programme at Local Trust, we see that a lot of these the outcomes serve that community, of course, because the community has the power and control over those buildings, has the ability to set affordable rents or even no rents at all to support their peers in, in their neighbourhood. So what I recommend is either a community ownership model where communities own their own pubs, their own shops, theatres, workspaces, even adventure playgrounds and skate parks. And I recommend that local authorities also invest in property as a platform for local benefits and not as a means of getting a commercial return. So in Bristol, for example, the public sector owns 94% of all shops and independent businesses and services are, are flourishing there. They have one of the kind of the longest stretches of independent shops and businesses in the country. So what, what is needed for this to happen, for communities and local authorities to take on properties in their neighbourhoods, we need two things, really. We need a set of legislation that enables communities and local authorities to force these empty properties onto the, onto the market. So in Scotland, they have community right to buy laws that mean community groups have the right to buy property and land, regardless of whether the owner is willing to, to sell it. And that's especially the case for kind of abandoned or neglected properties. So communities and, and local authorities need right to buy in order to, to be able to make sure these boarded up shops come onto the marketplace in the first place. And then, of course, they need appropriate capital to buy property. And there are some land funds that exist in Scotland and also already in England that could be used as a model and as a, as a prototype for what could be massively scaled up. My piece says if, if high street property is in local hands and it's connected to and accountable to that community, then rents can be proportionate to locals' ability to pay and you get a diverse mix of occupiers that reflect local needs. And ultimately, our high streets can be resilient and responsive in times of crisis. My name's Chris Shellard. I'm a contributor to the Grimsey Review. I was involved in Grimsey Review 1 and 2 and the supplement, and I covered some of the issues around local authorities and the planning system. In this review, we've made it clear that planning policy needs to undergo a radical shift to adapt to the new normal. Local authorities need to update their local plans and they need to be imaginative, flexible and speed up decision making. Town centre policies really do need to predict the future and not rely on outdated historic evidence. Localism is a popular concept. Communities need to have a say in shaping the town centre environment. They need to become stakeholders in community assets, not just consumers. In the current climate, green space has never been more valued and it should be an essential part 
of any town centre plan and design brief. And we would wish to see garden squares, small parks, tree-lined pedestrian routes and landscape areas which all contribute to civic pride. Repurposing streets and green spaces should be a key element of creating healthier town centres. The examples in New York are that streets have been taken off map and we note that Soho businesses are campaigning for street closures to create an alfresco dining experience. This means reducing car access and improving the environment. Public health and environmental health have key roles in creating safe town centre environments. We have argued in this review that the establishment of an environmental safety and hygiene kite mark for town centres would be essential. The new normal could lay the foundation for social change, focused on hyper-localism, powered by community involvement, which would then bring much needed life back to our town centres. So it's great to be joined by the Mayor of Tees Valley, Ben Houchen, to hear his views on the high street needs. So your combined authority stretches quite you know, a considerable number of high streets. When you look at those, those shops on the ground now and those that are struggling to survive, what do you think he needs to happen on a local level to give them the support they need? Well, I think immediately many shops and businesses want to reopen. I think one thing that's different compared to other economic shocks that we've had is there's a lot of pent-up energy and there's a cork in the bottle that wants to be released. The issue that you have is that because of the last three months, a lot of these small independent businesses, uh, whether shops or otherwise, having real issues with cash flow. And now that we're looking to reopen, one of the biggest concerns that I've got is that the businesses are being asked to be COVID responsive and making sure they've got health and safety measures in place with cash that they don't really have to be able to to then roll out the reopening process. And so from our point of view locally, we're, we're actually launching a, a local government grant scheme where businesses, especially in the leisure and hospitality sector, can can get grants to, to get money towards you know, the perspex screens, the markings that they're going to have, because I think businesses reopening in our high streets is going to be a major cash flow issue. And then I also think it's about perception. I mean, the government want the economy to reopen, businesses want to reopen, but then you also have an issue of, it's a fine line between saying, we're trying to get back to a level of normal, but also, you know, as the government would say, you know, staying alert and being aware of the risks that become associated with that. So I think the other local concern is trying to get that messaging clear that it is okay to go shopping it is okay to go into our high streets as long as the advice is followed closely and on a more national level when you look at the, you know, the huge amount of effort the chancellor has put in to support businesses across britain during the lockdown as we emerge from that what would you like to see on a more national level whether it's change of policy we all know it's not just about money sometimes it's about having the freedoms to, to go ahead and do the things you, you can see on the ground that are needed well i think fundamentally the biggest thing is is actually it is a money issue and I think it's business rates and government have committed to a review of the business rate system that's something that the Chancellor announced and actually think there's an opportunity to accelerate that because if we look at our towns especially in my region a lot of shops are closing not largely because of rents and yes there are obviously setbacks when you have economic shocks but even before coronavirus business rates were making small independent businesses especially retail businesses unviable in our high streets when compared to our online competition. And I don't think that's because people don't want to shop in the high streets. People want a convenient shopping opportunity. They like to spend time in the high streets as a leisure pursuit, not just as a as an opportunity to shop. And I think business rates is a real, real killer in our high streets and it needs to be reviewed sooner rather than later. And coronavirus might allow the government to accelerate that process. 
And one final question just about local leadership, about the skills and the expertise needed to turn our high streets around for the better and to make sure that we've got the right support. Sometimes local authorities, due to cutbacks, don't have necessarily the skill sets and the officer level. And sometimes at the elected councillor level, we need more people in that may have these skill sets and may have these business acumen and expertise. Do you think that's something that we need to work on as a, as a nation? Oh, it has been for years, though, hasn't it? It's a real issue of engaging with actual businesses. You often get it, local government, and I'm sure it's the same in national government, you get the usual suspects of certain types of businesses, often larger businesses who have the balance sheets to be able to do lobbying and do public engagement with officials or politicians. And what you don't get especially at the smaller end with your real SMEs, you know, your two, three-man bands, your small startup businesses, you don't get the ability to tap into them. They're too busy dealing with a client. They're too busy dealing with setting up their business. They're too busy dealing with HR issues. They don't have that bandwidth to engage. And I think that's a real problem for local and national government when trying to manage government policy around how to support small businesses when actually we're not talking to the vast majority of small businesses. I don't have an answer to that, but that's absolutely a challenge that I don't think is being addressed at the moment. So Bill, we've heard so much from everybody that's contributed in the report particular areas they found fascinating and they really want action. What jumps out of you, in particular some of the case studies that have been featured, what jumps out at you? Well, we've featured some big and some small case studies in this particular review. I mean, obviously the big one that jumps out in the UK is Stockton on Tees, and we've got Neil Schneider who's uh, contributed to the review. I mean, they have transformed the landscape up there. Having two shopping centres in a town, realising that both weren't going to survive, Transferring good retailers to one of them, so making it a successful one and blowing the other one up was a great strategy, but needed courage. He bought both of those from the private sector. He has transferred the retailers across. He is going to blow one up and make it a green park and open up the river. Fantastic. So Stockton on Tees gets a huge tick. Then internationally, we took a trip to Rochelaire in the last five years with several delegations District council members have been over there from the UK. The ITV has been over there. Rochelaire is run by a, a mayor who is remarkable too. He's like a Belgian version of Neil Schneider, if you like. And he has taken that place and transformed it from a car born culture into pocket parks everywhere. On Friday nights, people are out enjoying the town and it's uh, just just transformed the place. And then if you take it to a smaller town, there's a town called Southwold in Nottingham, has done a fantastic job with its local retailers. It's got a huge number of independent retailers. And during COVID, they have decided that if they can't be open, they will either go online or they'll run classes online Uh, using Zoom, they've kept their businesses alive. So it's not just big stuff, it's small stuff as well. There's many more in here. This all sounds very nice and doable, Bill, but one thing that we haven't yet discussed enough of is greedy landlords with international portfolios. These shops are barely a number on their balance sheet. They don't care about their local communities. They don't care about the people. They care about the rent. What do we do about them? Their days are numbered. We need to get rid of them. This is totally unacceptable. Absent landlords with no interest other than a return in a town in the UK are not welcome. 
and we've got to find ways of exposing them and getting rid of them. The property market has changed. The commercial reality is hitting home to that property market and they're refusing to accept that there's a price correction that needs to take place. There is no real demand for these spaces anymore because of technology. Let's find out who they are and let's get rid of them. Let's give local authorities quick powers to purchase these buildings and turn them into something that's better for the community. A investment manager that has a portfolio of stores all around the country on a spreadsheet isn't interested in the four at the bottom that are closed. Providing his bottom right-hand total number of return is acceptable to his investors and his bosses. He's happy. He doesn't care if they're shut. He doesn't care about the local community. And we've got to stop that mentality and change it. And COVID has given that opportunity for the local community to wake up and say, enough's enough, get lost. And finally, you touched on it at the beginning, but this is the moment of change. You talk about how we can't go back to the bad old ways and lose what we've gained during this really tragic time. Can you talk a little bit about mental health and how local communities, that everything within that 20 minute walk has kind of we've reinvigorated it, we've just rediscovered it during COVID and how we can't lose that as we move forward? Yeah, I think COVID has uh, hit us all in different ways mentally. For me, being in the age group that's quite vulnerable, it's quite sobering to think I could be dead in four to six weeks' time. That's just quite remarkable. You know, you go out, catch a cold, and then you're gone. And so all what you've built and worked for has gone in a flicker of a flame being blown out. And that kind of wakes you up. But then it makes you think, well, what's happening around me? I've got a local delicatessen here, Italian, His name's Tony, would be, wouldn't it? And uh, he has a queue down the street every single day. And they're all two metres apart. He's running COVID very well in his shop. And he's doing extremely well. My plea to those people is that when this is over, stick with Tony. He's done a fantastic job for you. So let's support all these local people. Let's make it happen. This is a very personal thing for me. I spent my entire career changing the UK in the second half of the last century. I built supply chains which deseasonalized fruit and vegetables in the UK. I built superstores as a Tesco trading director and new store development director in the 80s. I was opening 25 a year. I was part of making every town in the UK look the same, cloning towns. It's a very sobering thought to think that what you spent your life doing now needs to be unpicked for the benefit of the wider community and for the world. So people aren't going to have French beans flown in by a jumbo jet to Heathrow every day because they're not going to like it. The young people aren't going to want to do it. Let's bring back seasonal vegetables. Let's bring back a uniqueness to our town. Let's have a community base that economically works, and we will have a fresher, brighter future that will not only help us from a physical point of view, but help for our mental well-being. Thank you so much for listening. It's clear it's time to act. So get involved and help make the change. If you'd like to find out more details and read the report in full, go to vanishinghighstreet.com. Hold up. 